And as you are taking your seats, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. This morning we'll find ourselves in verses 10 through 13 of that letter. also remind you that there are fellowship pads located on the inside of the aisles that you can pass down the aisles um, and fill those out. Um, let us know that you're here, especially if you're a visitor. We'd love to be in touch with you. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is God's word. Let's come before him now and ask for his help and understanding. Lord God, we come before you now and, um, and we do recognize and admit that we all come from different places this very morning. Um, There are those that come into this place this morning and they are hurting. Um, they, They feel as though everything in this life has been against them this past week and they are longing for just a word, even just a sentence to help them to move on and to encourage them. There are others this morning who come with great faith, um, gather with your people and long to hear you speak, and they feel as though they have never walked as closely with you as they have as right now in their lives. And still there are others who come into this place and their their hearts are plagued with doubts and fears and um and they are skeptical of the truth of the gospel. And there are any number of other ways that we come this morning individually, but our prayer as we approach your word this, this morning is, is that you would, um, you would show all of us, every single one of us, that we are, we are far more sinful than we give ourselves credit for that there, are, there is a darkness in our hearts that we have not begun to understand. That all our motives and all our actions and all our words and thoughts are in some way tainted by our sin. We pray that you would reveal that to us this morning, that you would open our eyes to see our great need, but that you would not leave us in that place. For all of us and for all the different 
places we come from, we pray that you would also this morning reveal to us the glories of your redemption. That as sinful as we are, we are far more loved, that we are far more accepted and far more secure than we could have ever dreamed possible because of what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that as we look at your word, you would lift our eyes to see him who lived and died and rose from the dead in order that we might be redeemed and be called the children of the King. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Not too long ago, um, my wife and I were in Walmart. And um, something you need to know about me is that I am a... <coughs> I'm a sucker for a sales pitch, and um, there was this guy in one of the aisles, and he was up on this little podium, um, not quite as high as this podium, um, but he, uh, he was up on this podium, and he was doing this demonstration for this special set of kitchen knives, and so we walked by just as he was beginning this demonstration, and, um, you know, so here's this full-blown presentation and he takes out these knives and he <clears throat> gently slices through this tomato and, and then he takes this loaf of bread and he gently slices off a piece of bread and then he kind of amps it up another degree and he takes out a piece of wood and he starts sawing through that piece of wood. And uh, the grand finale of it all was when he took out this piece of solid steel and he just started sawing into that steel. And um, and I was in like a trance, and um, and uh, I, I said, "We have to buy this knife." Um, you know, um, at that moment, I was I was thinking the knives that we have—they're not even worthy to be called knives uh, compared to to what we had here. And thankfully, Jennifer was with me, and so I walked away because of her. Um, she made me, um, but. It was a great sales pitch. I mean, and, you know, great sales pitch comes when someone's able to convince you that they, they have something you need. Here's the easy, easy sales pitch this morning. Paul is saying to the Philippians, and he is saying to you this morning, that he has something, that he has found something you desperately need. You know, at times... It may be hard for you and me to really put our finger on what you think you need and really call it what it is. Well, Paul calls that thing, he calls it contentment or satisfaction, real and complete rest. I mean, he says, no matter what my circumstances are, I have learned to be content. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that, that is really what your heart is aching for. Something that will be able to cause you to say, I'm satisfied. I'm completely content. I am done with my searching and I can now rest. And it doesn't matter what you give me. It doesn't matter what you take away from me. Because I have found the thing that satisfies the longings of my heart. And because of that, I'm satisfied and content. He says, I have it. I've learned the secret of being content. Now, first, I want us to think about what this contentment is and to say to you that it is contentment 
in Jesus. It's contentment in Christ. And as we look at this, I want you to notice that what Paul is doing in these verses is he's thanking the Philippians. This group of people in the city of Philippi, they heard that Paul was in need. And so they, they and we saw this at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians, they, they sent a man named Epaphroditus to Paul. And he came to Paul with a gift from the Philippians. And you can read about it further on in this chapter in verses 17 through 18. But that's the thing he's talking about in verse 10 when he writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, here's why I'm bringing all of this up. If you look at this last section of verses in Paul's letter from this point to the end of the letter, what Paul is really doing in these 10 verses, these next 10 verses, is he is he's saying thank you for what you've given to me. Now, that's a whole lot of verses to say thank you. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul who is in other places able to rattle off just huge doctrines and truths and these grand themes of redemption in the matter of just a, a few words. But here it takes him ten verses just to say thank you to these people. And the reason it does is because he wants you to be clear about one thing. He was not sitting around waiting for someone to do something for him, to give him something, waiting for the people in Philippi to respond to him while he's in prison, because he has figured out how to be content. You know, most of you know the Rolling Stones, they sang, I can't get no satisfaction. I've tried and I've tried. I decided not to sing it for you this morning. You'll be glad. The band U2 sings, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There are numerous songs just like this, and they resonate with people because they are casting light onto the human condition. I mean, that is what we want. We were made, in fact, to be satisfied, to find contentment. We're longing for it. We're longing for this kind of rest, this real rest. But the problem for most of us, I'd say the problem for all of us, is that we spend a lot of our time looking for it in all the wrong places. And so what you find in your experience is that the harder you try and find contentment, the deeper and deeper you sink into discontent. I mean, you think you will be satisfied if you get your hands on this one thing, if you have this in your life. But when you have it, the cycle repeats itself because it's never enough to give you rest. I mean, we look for contentment in our careers. If I could just climb this ladder and arrive, you tell yourself that if you could just get your spouse to treat you the way you need to be treated, then you would be content. Then you would be happy and satisfied. If your kids would just behave in public, you'd be satisfied. Um, If your bank account was just a little bit more padded so that you felt a little bit more secure, especially in times like these, you think, then I would be content. If you could just get the power, if you could just have the respect of others, then you'd be satisfied. And I guess what I'm saying is you're grasping We're all doing it. We're grasping to say, this this thing, if I have it, it will cure my aching. It will make me whole. It will make me complete. It will make me, it will bring satisfaction into my life. And the problem is that the more you chase contentment in those things, the further it slips out of your reach. And I need you to hear me clearly here. You cannot get satisfaction by looking for satisfaction. 
See, this is what makes Paul's statement so amazing. He says in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Again, in the middle of verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And he's saying, I figured it out. I have it. So what is this secret to contentment and being satisfied and really finding rest? The answer is really that Jesus is the secret. Jesus is the secret to his contentment. And I know at first you blow that off because that just sounds like the cheesy Sunday school answer. You know, yet Jesus is the answer to everything. And it's not a cheesy statement. What he is saying is that Jesus is enough for me. He is complete and whole in Jesus. That's why it doesn't matter if it's been a good day or a bad day. Contentment comes when Jesus is enough for you. You never get contentment by looking for contentment. You only get contentment by looking at Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Notice verse 13. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is one of the most misquoted and misapplied verses of the entire Bible. Because Jesus isn't saying, or Paul isn't saying, Jesus will give you strength to win that soccer game this week. He's not saying Jesus will give you the strength to be a successful businessman or businesswoman. He's not saying those things. He is saying it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what I get. It doesn't matter what I lose because I have everything that I need in Jesus. He's enough. You know how people are always talking about the latest diets out there, right? You know, the Atkins diet, and I I took a short run at the uh, South Beach diet. Uh, It's a story for another time, but uh, there were just way too many vegetables involved in that diet. Um, But, you know, I I did this little diet, and I ran into this this friend of mine, and uh, I hadn't seen him in years. And uh, like a lot of men, after he got married, he tacked on a lot of pounds. And um, and I saw this guy, I barely even recognized him because he had lost like 60 pounds. And so here I am with the diet thing. And, you know, I said, well, what kind of diet are you doing to lose all this weight? And he said, well, I'm, I'm not on a diet. You know, all these diets out there and he's dropping pounds left and right. And um, so I said, well, what's the secret? You got to tell me. And uh, he said, well, I just learned how to stop eating when I got full, <laughs> you know pretty simple. Um, you know, when I was full, I put down the fork and I stopped eating. Um, he would eat and when he had enough, he would stop. Here's the key that Paul is saying to finding contentment in the, to finding contentment in this life. It is to know deep in your soul that Jesus is enough. You see, I know that life a lot of times it feels like a, a series of um, like it was built to be a series of empty and dissatisfying moments. It, and I want to I want you to hear this. That is, in fact, the truth. Don't I don't want you to get me wrong. You are made to be satisfied. You are made to find rest. But God has designed everything in his world to come up short of giving you true contentment. And true rest. Because God is saying in his word, you are made to rest in Jesus. You are made to rest and find completion and joy and satisfaction in his son, Jesus Christ. See, only the cross will answer your deepest needs. 
Only God's grace answers your deepest longing to rest and be made whole through the righteousness of Jesus. Well, contentment is found in Jesus, but in the second point, I do want to get a little bit more specific. Paul says that he's learned how to be content in every situation. Listen to verse 12 again. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It would be nice to be able to say that, right? I mean, because life at times feels like a roller coaster. I mean, it's up and it's down and I feel like I'm pulled this way by my circumstances and then pushed this way by my circumstances. And it would be nice in the midst of all that to say it doesn't really matter because I am content. I mean, here Paul is and he's mentioning these two extremes, right? In plenty or in want, whether well-fed or hungry. I mean, he's saying I've experienced both sides of the coin. And in each case, he knows how to be content. So let's start with what it means to be content when you have it all. I mean, when you are well-fed and you have plenty. And I think we can be honest that this is where we tend to struggle because we have so much. You know, I got this little booklet in, <coughs> in the mail one day that was trying to sell me. Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, don't, don't need to go there. Um, and this little booklet was trying to sell me on this get-rich-quick scheme, right? And so here's what the guy says in the introduction. He says, The best thing about money is the relaxed, confident feeling it gives you inside. The sense of assurance that comes from knowing that you've taken care of business, that everything is under your control, so that before long you'll be walking around with that incredible feeling of knowing that you are the master of your life. You know, you and I would probably never say that out loud, and we would, we would laugh at that. Um, but that is often what we are thinking. If I ju- and it doesn't have to be money. It, it could be relationships. If I just had the right thing. If I just had enough of this. If I could just get this, then I could relax. Then I could feel like things were under my control. Then I would, would be able to rest, and I would be happy. To be content in times of plenty means that you know what it means to rest on Jesus and not his good gifts that he gives to his children. Listen to a verse, a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. God says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And it is a warning to the nation of Israel. And he's saying when God blesses you and when he gives you things... And when you enjoy his goodness to you in this life, do not forget him. I wonder if you've ever noticed how much you pray when your life seems to be falling apart and how little you pray when everything seems to be going just fine. It is because you and I have hearts that are prone to forget the Lord our God in the midst of plenty. It is because your heart and my heart begin so quickly to place its hope in things and in circumstances rather than the maker of all things. Contentment in times of plenty is about looking at Jesus and not about the good gifts he gives to you. But there is this other extreme that he mentions too. He says that he knows what it means to be content when he's in need and and hungry. And I was thinking about this passage. I, I do realize that most of us haven't been in very much need materially. I mean, some maybe, but most of us not. 
But listen, you and I still live in a broken world. And there are hopes and there are dreams that have been crushed. And there are what you think, think of as missed opportunities. And, and there's a lot of hurt that comes from our relationships. A, a lot of frustration, a lot of disappointment to deal with. How do you handle and face loss? Have you ever asked yourself the question, you know, what if? What if everything was taken from me today? What if my life and my world were shattered? What if all that happened to you? Would you be content or would you be bitter? Would you be confident or would you be crushed? Here's a question. What if you were like Job? I mean, you remember the story of Job in the Old Testament, right? Job was this wealthy man with a big family. But in one day, all his servants, all his livestock, they were either stolen or destroyed. And on that same day, all his sons and all his daughters were killed. The next day, Job was covered with painful sores so badly that he was scraping these sores with pieces of pottery. I mean, that's a, that's a bad day. That's a pretty rough day. But listen to what Job says in chapter 19. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not, a, not another. How my heart yearns within me. You know, Job is generally considered to be the first book of the Bible ever written. And I want you to see that in the first book of the Bible ever written, there is a man who is looking at Jesus. Before he was ever born of a woman. His contentment isn't in things, but it is in the living Redeemer. It's not in his family, but in his Redeemer. Not in his stuff, but in his Redeemer. What satisfies him and makes his heart yearn is the thought of seeing his Redeemer. I mean, that is what contentment looks like. In times of need. Uh, We'll continue my little music kick this morning. Uh, Johnny Cash, he sings this song called The Wanderer. And in that song, he sings about walking through a city. You may be familiar with the song, I don't know. But he sings this. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. They want the kingdom. Oh, they want the blessings of the kingdom, but they don't want the king of the kingdom. You see, here is the problem both in times of plenty and in times of want. We are often looking to the blessings of the kingdom to satisfy us. And Paul is saying that you are meant to be fully satisfied in the king of the kingdom. It's so subtle sometimes, but it's very easy to seek Jesus, not to have Jesus, but to have the good things he gives you. If you want to know how to be content in the midst of blessing, if you want to know how to be content in the midst of loss, in any and every situation, you have to learn to seek Jesus to have Jesus. And for no other reason. Well, finally, I want to point out that contentment like this is learned. Our contentment comes because of who we are in Christ. It's understanding that Jesus is sufficient, but it doesn't come naturally to you and me. 
It is, in fact, learned. Listen again to verse 11. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Being content will not come naturally to you or to me. It didn't come naturally to the Apostle Paul. He says that he learned it. And I want to suggest to you a couple of ways that he learned contentment and how you can learn contentment. He learned contentment in his experience. You know that God is, God is willing at times to put his children through the fire. He allows his children at times to go through very, very difficult things. You know this. And sometimes he's using the very, those very difficulties, those trials. He is using those to cause you to look at Jesus and to rest in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about being given a thorn in the flesh. Remember this? We don't know what it is, but whatever it was, it wasn't pleasant because he calls it a messenger of Satan um, to torment me. I mean, that's pretty bad. He tells us that he prayed that it would be taken away, not once, but three times. And then he tells us what Jesus told him. This is what Jesus told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, what Paul was learning in that moment in his experience was that Jesus was enough for him. That Christ's grace was sufficient for him. That he could do all things through Christ who gives him strength. In the fire, faced with loss and pain and frustration, God is often teaching you and me through those experiences to look at Jesus and rest in him. I also think that Paul learned this from the example of Jesus. There are a number of places that you and I could go to. But I want you to think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. He's betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. His friends are about to deny him. He's about to suffer the shame and the scornful death of the cross. And he's about to bear his father's wrath. And so he prays to his father. He says, my father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. I'm telling you, that is the supreme example of contentment. Jesus drinks the cup, not because the cup holds some blessing for him. It holds the very wrath of God. He drinks the cup because of the confidence he has in his father. He takes it because he is satisfied with his father and not with the things that his father gives him. But listen, the cross, it's not just an example of contentment. The cross is really what brings us full circle in this discussion. You're not only to look at the cross and see this great example of sacrifice, this great example of humility, this great example of obedience. You are to see the very sacrifice and grace that makes contentment possible at all. How is it that Jesus could could really be enough to satisfy you in every circumstance? You find that out when you fall at the foot of the cross and see that his life was given for yours. When you understand that he has cleansed you in his blood and covered you in his righteousness. How do you learn contentment? The only way you learn contentment is by looking at Jesus and not your circumstances. That's what Paul learned from his experience in Jesus himself. I think that you and I really should take some comfort from this passage this morning. Comfort in the, in the fact that Paul learned contentment. Comfort in that it, it is a process. That it is a slow process for us. You know, 
I watch a lot of sports on TV, probably too much. Um, and I watch these sports, and I watch this quarterback, you know, and he throws this 40-yard pass downfield, and he threads that ball, you know, just like a needle in between two defenders, and the completion is made, and touchdown, all that kind of stuff. You know, you watch a, a basketball player, and he's standing four feet behind the three-point line, and he shoots it. It looks so effortless, and it's nothing but the bottom of the net. Um, you, you watch, a, you watch a, a, a baseball player. He steps up to the plate, you know, grabs that bat, and just like it's nothing, hits the ball 490 feet. You know, you watch the golfer. All of a sudden, you know, he stands over that little white ball with this club that I can barely make to go in the fairway. He sends it 340 yards down the middle of the fairway. You know, you and it looks so effortless. It, it looks so easy and so simple. But here's the thing. None of that stuff came easy to any of those guys. Sure, they had talent and all that kind of stuff. But golfers hit thousands and thousands of golf balls every week. Basketball players spend hours and hours in the gym perfecting the jump shot. Baseball players hit thousands of baseballs perfecting their swing. I mean, these people, they learned how to do it by doing it over and over and over again. That's how they learned it. You see, what God wants from you in all of the ups, in all of the downs of your life, is to learn how to look at His Son. Through each circumstance, whether, whether it's great or whether it's horrible to learn to look at Jesus and to practice that, you will only ever be satisfied in Him. You will only find rest and completion in Him. To learn contentment, you have to look at Jesus over and over and over and over again. That is what you are made to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning we plead for ourselves that you would, be, you would cause us to be a people who know how to look at Jesus in all of life's circumstances. We pray that you would teach us over time that you would perfect in us this art of knowing how to look at Jesus no matter the circumstances, in the ups or in the downs. Father, we recognize and understand that we were made to be satisfied and whole and complete and to find true rest. And we pray that you would teach our wandering hearts that are so prone to forget the Lord our God, that you would teach us that we were made to find that satisfaction, that completion, and that rest in Jesus and in Him alone. It's in His name we pray. Amen.